Christian spirituality because so much of Christianity is doctrine, teaching, which the Bible is full of. The, the Lord wants us to believe rightly. But oftentimes we have a lot of teaching and truth, but we're not actually translating it into the way we live. How does this doctrine that we hold actually live on street level where, where you and I hang out? Imagine you were given a brand new car and left it parked in the garage while you walked 15 miles to work every day. The tremendous impact the car could have in your life is lost. Today, Pastor Daniel shares that your faith can be like that car. You can know about doctrine and truth without them making a difference in your life in a real way. As you listen, you'll hear several truths that will help close the gap between what you know and how you live. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Psalms, chapter 37, as he begins his message, Eye of the Tiger. We're in this top 10 series. We're, we're linking Psalms to songs. That's what they are. Psalms are songs. And the book of Psalms is the hymnal of the children of Israel. And so what we're doing in this series called Top 10 is we're picking 10 of our favorite psalms. And so if you are on Twitter, we do want you to be able to tweet with that hashtag CCC Top 10. So what song was that that we just heard? The Eye of the Tiger by the rock band Survivor came out as the title track on their third album called Eye of the Tiger. But there is a movie that that was written for. What movie was that? Rocky. That's right. It's amazing that that... That song and that album went platinum in three months. It sold more than two million copies. It's also been downloaded digitally by more than three million different people. Now, when you think about the idea of the eye of the tiger, I mean, Rocky Balboa, I mean, it's not just because I'm Italian. I mean, everybody likes Rocky. Everybody does. Because the story is so... It's a story of overcoming. I mean, you think of the first two Rockies, and, you know, Rocky's just, you know... He's just a boxer, not even necessarily a good one, doesn't have a lot of education, and he gets a shot to fight Apollo Creed. This is Rocky One, and Apollo Creed, it's just a, a publicity stunt, but not for Rocky. And so Rocky goes out there, and he has himself a good match, and, you know, and he gets a rematch, so you get Rocky Two, right? But the song Eye of the Tiger shows up in Rocky Three. It was actually the, it, that was where it showed up, and if you remember, that made Mr. T very famous. And so I've been telling Pastor Bill I think he'd look good with the Mr. T little look, but he's not, he's not buying it yet. He's not buying it yet. But when you think about Rocky Three and especially Rocky Three and Four, it's all about overcoming. The, the story of Rocky over and over again, and the reason so many people enjoy it is because it tells the story of someone who's willing to overcome. There's obstacles in front of you. And how do we overcome what is in front of us. And in the movie Rocky, the idea is that it's the eye of the tiger, that there's something that happens to a person that allows them to overcome 
what is in front of them. And that is exactly what this psalm is about. So I want you to open up to Psalm number 37. It's one of my very favorite psalms. Now, what's interesting about Psalm 37, and if you're just getting into the Bible for the first time, the book of Psalms is about two-thirds of the way through the Old Testament. So depending on how big, I was going to tell you how about what number it is in your Bible, but it depends on how big your print is, too. So, but about two-thirds of the way through, there's the book of Job, it's a large book, and then there's the book of Psalms. It's the largest single book in your Bible with 150 chapters, 150 different songs. Now, in Psalm 37, what's interesting about this psalm is I'm going to focus on really the first 11 verses because everything else is going to end up rehashing in all these different ways all the rest of the psalm. But this psalm is written by David, but in verse 25, it says this, I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor the descendants, his descendants begging bread. He is ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are blessed. This is a psalm of David in his sagacious years. This is not a young David. No, he says, I was young and now I am old, and I have never seen God's people forsaken. So David is looking back over his life. He's, he's gotten on in years. He's had all sorts of experiences. And so this psalm is coming from a vantage point of many years of wisdom, much experience, much experience. And it's, it's amazing. I talked to Pastor Bill, and Pastor Bill's not all that old, really. You know, and I always talk to him, and he gives me the, the wisdom of you know, 37 years here at Crossroads and then years before that in ministry, seeing his children grow up and become adults. You know, and in our culture, we live in a culture that values youth, but God values people. And maybe one of the biggest problems we have in American culture is we don't value people who've had more trips around the sun than others. Because there's a wisdom from experience. You have a tendency as you've lived longer to have a a unique vantage point because you've seen things. I was talking to a couple of the brothers who are helping Pastor Bill lead Next Step and we were talking about the state of American politics. And I said, you know, I'll be honest with you. I'm like, when I look back, I only remember a few presidents, really. I mean, I, I got older when Bill Clinton was president. So I've only really, when I started to understand politics, I've seen Bill Clinton George W. Bush and Barack Obama. And they're like, oh, Pastor Dad, you know, they're like, oh, Sonny, you know. And they were talking to me about some of the things that they've seen over time. So this psalm comes from that vantage point of many years, many experiences. And what I love about this psalm in the first 11 verses, I'm going to teach you seven simple teachings. Seven, there's going to be seven simple points Now, I think this is important for a very specific reason, is because I believe that these seven simple points are actually the key to what I would call Christian spirituality. Now, I say Christian spirituality because so much of Christianity is doctrine, teaching, which the Bible is full of. The, The Lord wants us to believe rightly. But oftentimes, we have a lot of teaching and truth but we're not actually translating it into the way we live. How does this doctrine that we hold actually live on street level where where you and I hang out, 
We could talk all this great theology, and I'm a big fan. Those of you who come by my office, you see I like books. The bigger, the better. I like books that I need to read a dictionary with it next to. I like that type of stuff. But all that stuff is great, but when push comes to shove in our lives, when like Rocky, you're scraping the bottom, how do these truths actually impact who we are? And for all of us, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we find that the things that we believe and how we live, there is a disconnect. And I believe that biblical spirituality is closing that gap between this is the truth and this is actually how I choose to live my life. That's what the process of sanctification is all about. And so I believe that these seven simple teachings hold the key for us to what it means to truly follow Jesus. So let me read to you. I'm going to read to you the first 11 verses. Look what it says. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. And yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. And you notice he says at the end there that the meek shall inherit the earth. Jesus picked that up, didn't he? In the Beatitudes, in the beginning of Matthew. So now, when you get to verse 9 and following, it starts to show the contrast which would run to the end of the psalm. And I encourage you, when you go home today, to read the rest of the psalm as we see this division between the righteous and the wicked and how that all plays out. But my first point is quite simply this, and it gets bookended Verse 1, verse 2, verse 7, and verse 8. Notice it says, do not fret. And I'm going to say it this way. Don't freak out. Don't freak out. That is one of the keys to Christian spirituality. Don't freak out. Now, why do I tell you this? Because freaking out comes so naturally to us all, doesn't it? So many things go on in our lives and in this world that are outside of our control. And freaking out comes really naturally. Has anybody here never freaked out before? That's right. There's no hands anywhere in the sanctuary. Why? Because it happens. No matter if you're old or young, no matter if you've had great success or just epic failures, freaking out comes naturally, especially when we're freaking out over watching what other people are doing. Notice what it says. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. 
for they shall be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Notice the middle of verse 7. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Look at the end of verse 8. Do not fret. It only causes harm. This word fretting, it means to burn or to get heated up. And David's message was chill out. That's what his message is. Take a chill pill. Don't get heated up. Don't get heated up. Don't freak out. And notice it says, don't freak out over people who are doing evil. Now, this might be the greatest source of our fretting, is watching evil proliferate. It's so easy. So now listen, he's not saying don't think about it. He's saying that in your response to evil, do not freak out. He has a more productive and constructive way to handle the things that cause us to burn hot. So when something goes on today and you start freaking out, what are you going to say to yourself? Don't freak out. And then if you, don't, if you want more, you're going to say, just take a chill. Because God has a better plan for us to deal with the things that are out of our control than freaking out. So let's look at what it says in verse 3. Now, for my next seven points, I'm just going to have something and something. Each one is just boom, boom, boom. So the first one, look at verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. So instead of freaking out, trust and do. Trust and do. When you are watching people doing evil, when all these reasons to freak out fly on up, take your eyes off of the situation and get your eyes on the Lord. Trust the Lord and do good. Faith cures fretting. Faith cures fretting. Trust in the Lord. We need to get our eyes upon the Lord. And as we trust in the Lord, now we're proactive as opposed to reactive. We respond constructively as opposed to destructively. Trust in the Lord. And this is why we freak out, because we don't trust in the Lord. When we realize that God is in control, that God is almighty, that God sees and knows everything, and that ultimately God has this thing handled, then we stop freaking out and we begin to believe that he is who he said he is. And if you ever wonder when you look at the world, because listen, we live in a culture freaking out cells. It's like, honestly, every single talk show, every single TV show, every single newspaper, peace and calmness does not sell. So everyone is hysterical. We live in a hysterical culture. Oh, they're going to ruin everything. If you ever doubt, I want you to open up your Bible. I want you to turn to the end and read the last three chapters of your Bible. And we know how the story ends, that Jesus comes back and he judges the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end and ultimately good comes to this earth. So yes, in the midst of it, there's all sorts of things that are going to go on, but we know how the game ends. 
So instead of freaking out, trust God. Trust him because he is trustworthy. But don't only just trust God. It says trust and do. What this means is it's not enough just to trust God. Be an agent of goodness in the world. If there's evil going on, then do something. Do good. Don't return evil for evil. Return good for evil. The key to driving away discontentment and getting heated up and freaking out is holy activity. Do something. See, I'm such a fan of being alive today. But oftentimes we think that updating our Facebook status is actually doing something good. I mean, I was hanging out viral. Our our ministry to the 20s and 30s that we call viral, it's so cool. We were talking about this on Friday night over at Turk Coffee. We were talking about, listen, do good. What does God require of you, it says in Micah 6 in verse 8, but to do justly and to love covenant faithfulness, mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I'm like, look, it says to do justly, do something. And I think what's unfortunate is we feel that by complaining about everything, we're doing something. And the Bible actually teaches, listen, don't freak out, don't fret, trust God and do something. Trust God. So as we complain about, oh, you know, all these things, let's, instead of just complaining about it, let's do something. And it says, do good. Do good. It makes me think of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he shall direct your paths. And as we trust in the Lord... And as we don't trust in our own understanding, but we trust in his understanding, as we acknowledge him in our ways, he will direct our paths, and those paths will be the path of doing good. It's not passive. It's active. Instead of getting heated up, we trust God, and then we do something. We do good. But then from there, it keeps going. So we have tr- instead of freaking out, we have trust and do. Now notice what we have. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Quite simply, dwell and feed. Now, I put in my notes, don't make any food jokes. We'll see if I can actually keep to that. Self-imposed restrictions. But you know what? Instead of freaking out, let's grow where we're planted. When you think about the idea of dwelling somewhere, it means to be there, to be present there. See, we could enjoy remembering a yesterday, but it is yesterday. You ever watch somebody who's walking one way while looking backwards? They end up running into something, right? And we can't, listen, I would love for today to be a different time. There was times in our country and in Christianity when everything was just amazing. But you know what? We need to dwell where we are. We need to say, God, you have me here now on this step. And I'm going to be here. But I'm not not only going to be here, I'm going to dwell in the land and I'm going to 
feed on his faithfulness. That word feed on his faithfulness in the Hebrew it means and be shepherded. That's what it means to be shepherded. So what it's saying is that God wants all of us, instead of freaking out, to be here and let him tend to us. And it says to feed on his faithfulness because God is faithful. And as we are on this step, whatever the circumstances are, we allow the Lord to shepherd us in this moment, to give us the grace that we need for this moment, to give us the wisdom that we need for this moment. The good shepherd will exert his pastoral care over his people. Of course, it makes me think of both Psalm 23 and John chapter 10. Psalm 23 and John chapter 10. Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, it says. I shall not what? Want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And then Jesus in John 10 says, I am what? The good shepherd. So instead of freaking out, brothers and sisters, instead of all these things that are very worthy to freak out, be here, dwell here, and let God shepherd you right now. See, what I have learned in my life and what I'm learning every single day is that God is very good at meeting us in the here and now and walking us through it with care. We want to look to people. We want to look to circumstances. And God is like, you don't need a change in circumstances. You need to get your eyes on me. I am with you now. But don't we do it? We look, we look for help. We look for a savior from our savior. And then people let us down all over the place. I'm trusting in that promotion. I'm trusting in this person. I'm trusting in my bank account. I'm trusting in, and none of those things are bad except when we use them as a savior from our savior. And when you have a savior from your savior, that's called an idol. And a savior from your savior, which is called an idol, is in the Bible called a sin. Because God wants us to be here to dwell right now. Not trying to escape it, but say, God, will you shepherd me in the midst of this? And that's an ever-present reality, because once the Lord brings you out of one thing, then there's the next thing that happens. And dwell there, and let him shepherd you, and then he brings you to the next thing. And that's why early Christianity was called the way, because it implied a path. It implied that things are moving every single day. And God wants us to learn how to dwell today in the land and to feed on his faithfulness today, today. And then tomorrow, tomorrow will be today. And then the day after that, then that day will be today. God is faithful in the moment for us so we can dwell and feed. Jesus is real. If your faith doesn't make a difference in your life, what good is it? Today, Pastor Daniel encouraged you to let what you know about God and the Bible impact how you live your life. He reminded you that you can trust in God in worrisome situations. You don't have to freak out, but can look to the Lord for wisdom and help. He's faithful and will carry you through, giving you peace in the midst of hard times. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. Thanks so much for tuning in today. It's such an amazing honor to share God's Word, and I love seeing how God is working through this ministry. Would you partner with us? I'd love for you to join us in sharing the message 
that Jesus is real by being a prayer partner or financial supporter. Find out more by visiting our website, jesusisrealradio.com. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share more truths from Psalm 37 that'll help you integrate your faith into your daily life. You'll learn that you should delight yourself in the Lord. He is the most valuable commodity there is, the singular God of the universe. Pastor Daniel will remind you that in this prosperous culture, it's so easy to get distracted by all the things around you and lose track of the one thing money can't buy, a relationship with God. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called The Top Ten. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.